it is possible to live in this world, to take all the things that came across your plate this week, this day, to take that report that you got from your coach, to take that report you got from your doctor, your employer, to take that relationship with your husband or wife or your ex, your mother, your father, your friend, that seemingly seems difficult, that uncertainty has begun to surface in your mind about and have complete peace. It is possible for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible is clear that we can walk in this world, no matter what is stirring around us and brewing around us, that we can walk in such a way that the God of the universe that we love, our personal Savior, and the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we can walk in complete peace when it appears, and in some ways, you've been handed a very, very, very difficult situation. You can stand in the midst of that and say, I trust in God. He's going to walk me through this, and his perfect will will be accomplished. Amen to that? And so today, Paul, in this letter, it's been a great journey walking through, and I've gained a greater appreciation for him and to watch him grow, and then to think that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this letter that he wrote, and they were hearing for the very first time from this church planter, from this pastor they hadn't seen, he's in chains, and now this letter gets sent to them, and it's like, it's from Paul, and they're getting to this part of the letter, and he's reminding them that they can have peace. Even though there's this rift in the church, even though there's these two ladies that are disagreeing, and even though he's begun to see worry and anxiousness surface, he reminds them, listen, get rid of that, kill that, don't manage that worry, don't manage that anxiety. It is possible to live in peace, but we have to make a choice. You and I have to make a choice. We have to take the lenses that we view life through Take the lenses of whatever circumstance you were handed on Friday and view it through the grid of the scripture and know that God is in complete control and he promises to work that thing out for good. But when we don't do that, we begin to worry. We choose to worry. We choose to view things as if it's going to be the absolute worst outcome. Watch what happens to this family when they do that. How was work? Nothing unusual. Email was down again. And uh, Bill called me into his office again. What's wrong? Nothing really. He just thinks he can come down and fit in with these blue collar guys. You know, he's white collar. Or you've done something wrong again. And you're getting in trouble. And you'll get demoted. Then you'll stop shaving. There goes my vacation. Maybe you'll even get fired. And then you'll do that lazy thing and I'll have to go back to work. And there goes the house. We had plans for this house. We'll be living out of our car or out on the street, and eventually we'll be forced to move in with your mother. How was your day, Kim? Well, Dana's having a party Friday night, and I thought I could go. But before you freak out, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I mean, y'all guys know me. You're a great kid, but there's no stopping the peer pressure. It just takes one sip, and you're hooked. And then there's the smoking and the piercings and the tattoos. And the boys. Even good boys don't have good intentions, never mind the bad boys. Oh, and you'll go straight for one of the bad boys, and he'll introduce you to all the bad things, and you'll get pregnant and drop out of school, and we'll never see you again. 
and will be stuck with your kid. What about you, Mom? I've been considering taking up string art. No. Desi's been doing some really wonderful things with it. You can do anything with string. Did you know you can make refrigerator magnets? Everyone knows string art is a gateway craft. You'll start knitting and making me hats and scarves and sweaters and making me wear those sweaters. And you'll stop dyeing your hair and get those grandma glasses and you'll want a cat, which will kill my allergies and probably lead to more cats. And you'll want to make things and bring it to my class and embarrass me in front of all of my friends. this a cat hair? All right, that's funny, huh? But the truth is, how many of you could replace one of those characters? How many of you put yourself in the train of thinking that you saw there? How many of you have chosen, it's your choice, to begin to go down a path of worry, Worst case scenario, and anxiousness and anxiety rules your life. Paul has a remedy for that today. And he's going to remind us of some really, really, really hard truths. But first, he's going to tell us that, that he really cares about us. So grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue to walk through this book. Philippians chapter 4. And if you need a Bible and you're here today, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take this home. It's a gift from Grace Community to you. And if you have 10 of these gifts at home, bring them back next week, and uh, we'll pass them on to other people too. If they're in your car, uh, bring them back next week so other people can use them. We're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Would you stand with me as we read it out loud together? Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Senchi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may have a seat. This letter's being read. Paul's closing up this letter, and as he gets to the end, word gets back, has gotten back to him while he's in the cell. He's, he's chained up that there's this disagreement in the church. It reached the whole way back to Paul, 800 miles away. Maybe Epaphroditus brought it there. Maybe someone else reported it. But this church that he loves dearly, and he helped plant, in fact, I would say one of the churches that he loves the most, the people, he gets this report that there's this disagreement between these two ladies. And so he does what every good friend, every follower, every leader should do, He addresses the issue, but before confronting them in the issue, he gives us a very normal, 
plausible way to address a group or an individual about something in their life that has gone disarray. And he begins, which you and I should do when we go to someone and and we see something in their life that we want to see change, he affirms them. He tells them first that he loves them. And he, and in order to love people you, or lead people, they have to know that you love them. Keep in mind, this is the same Paul. He understood something about love. So every time you read a book or you read a paragraph, take the paragraph, then take the chapter, then take the chapter and take the book, and then take the book and put it in the context of the other books, and then take all the books and put it in the context of the whole Bible. And now think about this. Paul is saying, this group whom I love, who's my crown and joy, He's telling them that I love you. Now, he understood love because if you read 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote what we would say is the pinnacle description of love. In case you forgot, you probably heard it at a wedding, but love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth, it always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres, it never fails. And so as he's looking at this group, he says in verse 1, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, 1 Corinthians 13, you whom I care about. Then he says, you, I, I, who I long for, my joy and my what? What does he also say? My crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I love the way he, he goes to them. And I love the way he addresses this disagreement. He wants them to know that he loves them enough to tell them the truth. And he also wants them to know that he loves them. I love this because even as I was reading again this week and I was sharing with my wife Anne, as I got to this passage and I've referred to it many, many times, as the pastor of Grace Community Church, even watching over the 20 years that by God's grace he's allowed me to be the, the, the lead pastor here, there have been many times like I wanted to express to people about you. And I love the terminology that, that, that Paul uses here. He says, I love them and I lo- long for you and you are my joy and my crown. And so as I've tried to express in gatherings with people about, about Grace Community Church, I've often contemplated, how can I say this in such a way that they don't receive it as prideful, that it's just about grace? When, no, I know it's not about grace, it's about Jesus. I can't even remember in the early years of ministry sitting in this gathering of pastors that, that, that I cared for and loved and their colleagues and they, they pastored churches. And we were, we were having a praise time. And I remember being seated there and, and I was in the back and I was beside one of my friends. And, and, and I remember thinking, this is supposed to be a praise time of what God's doing. It was like a funeral. It, 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 and I was thinking, and even like, how in the world can I step and stand in this and share praise? People would just look at you, and I thought, oh, they're going to look at you and say, oh, it's just Jim, it's just, and, and, and you just sound prideful. And I remember I was, I was torn. Like, I wanted to share because by our testimony and, and the blood of the Lamb, we overcome the evil one. And I wanted, I wanted to share, just to share this praise. And, and I remember I was sitting there wrestling, so I just plowed through it because the Holy Spirit was saying, Jim, share what God is doing. And so I, as I stood up, I even preface it by saying, you know, I just, I just want you to know that what I'm about to say, it's all about Jesus, and it's because of his glory, and, and because of him working in us, but I want to give God credit. Like, I want to praise his name. And I began to share, and, 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 and one of my 
dear friends who was a mentor in, in college and seminary for me. I met with him for a year. Dear brother, he a, a, was a professor in, in, in the graduate and college level. And, and uh, his name is Roger Pugh, Professor Pugh. And I got to spend a year with him. He taught me a lot about prayer and caring for your wife and how to lead. And, and, and he was seated there. And he says, wait a minute, Jim. You know, I was this young pastor and he's a veteran pastor. He says, hold on a second. He said, Jim, listen to me. Get up on your chair, stand on the top of it. He said, and shout out the praise and just give God glory. It's like, amen. <laughs> it's like, okay, Roger said it. Then I can do it. I didn't get up on my chair, but so I began to praise and I began to say these things. Like, I just saw this person come to Christ and our people are serving. And, and let me tell you this story. And, and I praise God. And, and it's like, but I felt like Paul's like, it was that moment where this pride and joy. And, and so even like, let me, let me just bring it home, bring it back here. I love you guys. <laughs> like, hold on, Wayne. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I, lo- I love you guys. I love you guys. And I love serving at Grace Community. And while there have been times I might have gotten on your, your bad side, or maybe I, I've sinned, and I have sinned, and in relationships, maybe there's friction there. But let, let me just say, I love Grace Community Church. I don't love it because we have blue shirts. And I don't love it because, you know, that, that, that they put us on the front page of the newspaper. Don't. I love it because you serve, you give, you, you love Jesus. And even, like, this weekend was like one of those times, and, and I praise God for this. I watch mechanics who know how to turn wrenches, fix cars. Like, they do it all week and they get paid for it. Or, or, or they do it on their own. And, and, and so this need surface, we said we need mechanics. And these men just serve and says, you know what? I can help other people. I watch dentist's office close their, their shops at, at the normal hours where they're getting paid and say, on, on after hours, we're going to come and we're going to serve and, and we're going to do free dental work. I watch people who have compassion for the elderly say, you know what? We want to go visit. I watch hundreds of people come alongside and go play checkers with elderly. I, I watched our Hispanic community be loved and, and watching Emily Grell. I don't know if you know this, but she teaches English as a second language here on Wednesday nights. And if you ever come here on, 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 to Grace Community you, Tuesday nights, you would see this room upstairs just filled with people learning English as a second language. Just, and so she wanted to do a picnic and I watched a whole group of people come here. We, can, we know how to flip burgers. We know how to love people. I watch, I watch people wash cars. They know how to wash their own cars. And we need people to wash cars. I know how to do that. Sign up and wash police cars and wash cars. And I was part of a group in Syracuse. I watch people go to the, the Goshen Fairfield game and, and, and form this gauntlet. Of, and by the way, what an incredible field that Goshen, I want to say Redskins, but it's Red Hawks have. Just beautiful field. And watching Fairfield where our, our kids go, I watch, sitting in the stands think this is community, watching these two teams from the same city come together and compete. And I watch, watch you hand out footballs and, and love on people. And, and as Ann and I were walking in that night, there was this gauntlet of blue. And it was like, I got all teary-eyed. And, and, and she, was, she was starting to weep. She's like, I just want to hug everybody. And she was, we can't hug everybody. We got, and it was just this, it was one of those moments like, I was just thinking, you are my joy. You are my crown. Praise God that, that you serve. And I, I just praise God for, for what he's doing and has done. And so I have moments, and I have moments as we've been here 20 years and we watch and we think, I remember a time there weren't blue crew shirts. 
I remember a time when, when we, we, we weren't rescuing orphans in Asia. And I remember a time that we, we didn't go get refugees in Iraq. And I remember, remember a time we weren't going to Costa Rica. And I, I, like, like, and, but I saw this group of people and I see you today. Like, you get it. Like, it's not about you. And, and so when Paul wrote this, like, it's like, you, Grace Community. Like, I just want to stop and say, you, you're my pride. And you're, you're Anna, and, and you're our joy. And man, I sat in that crowd on Friday night, the game, and I saw blue shirt, blue shirt, blue. And I watched kids with these 27 cent footballs, thought they had a million dollar ball. It's like, it's just an act. It was like, it was such a good night, good football game. Goshen played well, Fairfield played well. And, and we left there that night, and Anna and I just hand in hand. And I went back to this and said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, and my crown, and I stand there, stand firm in the Lord. The work's not completed. Stay with it. And then, I, then, then, then we get reports back, and, and here's some testimonies from this weekend. It's like, oh man, Lord, I don't know if my heart can handle any more of this. Like, here's one that came through. It says, my wife and I are so thankful for what you and Grace Church have done this weekend. I've really been trying to figure out how to get, to give his wife's name, the dental care that she has needed for a long time. But financially, I could not pay for it. Since she is in disability and they put her on Medicare, she has not had any dental care because of her medical bills. And, and then he said, I have a very hard time paying for our medical bills because of her kidney failure. I was working three jobs for a long time and it started affecting my health. So I backed down to two jobs and decided that I will pay the bills as I can. Yesterday, my wife was able to see the dentist for the first time since 2007 at Dr. Judd's dentist's office, and she had four teeth removed that were infected. And he puts, it was a major answer to prayer. Thank you, Grace Church. And Pastor Jim, this is one less thing for me to try to figure out how to pay for. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And then this came through too. Good afternoon to whomever reads this. I came in this morning to Grace Community to get, have my brakes and rotor change. I would like to say thank you to everyone again. You guys really have no idea how much of a lifesaver this was. With becoming more or less a single mom of three kids recently, I knew I was not going to be able to afford $400 for a brake change from a mechanic. I had no idea that my brakes would or could go bad instantly overnight. Friday morning, I woke up to take my daughter to her daycare and... And the first time I pressed on my brakes, I knew it was something that I had to work on and get changed immediately. She said, I even posted on Facebook about me changing them and asking how hard it would be. That would have been a big joke, she put. But a friend of of mine said, you guys were out doing this today. She said, it was truly God's miracle that you guys were doing this just when I needed it. Thank you again. Praise the Lord for that. I don't tell you those things like to bring praise to us, but you saw the need. Like you wash your own cars and like, instead of just doing it for me, serve others. Instead of just visiting my mom or my, my, my wife, let's go encourage other people who don't have people visiting them. And and, and instead of just cutting hair and getting paid for, I'll come to Grace Community because I know how to cut hair and I will give free haircuts to people here at Grace. It's seeing the world through the lenses of Jesus. And so like Paul, I stand here today and say, you, Grace Community, you are 
my pride and my joy and my crown, a healthy one. And so he opens this up by saying this, and Pastor Mike did a tremendous job last week of of talking about our citizenship is in heaven. And he says, therefore, because of that, a better translation would be, so then, because of your citizenship in heaven, my brothers and sisters of whom I love, stand firm in the Lord. Even though this rift is happening in the church, even though these two ladies are disagreeing, even though now they've chosen to worry and people are starting to get divided, stand firm in the Lord because he is near to you. And he's reminding this church that he loves, don't waver, stay on track, remain steady in God, stay at your post, even if people are hunting you down to cause you to lose your job. Stand firm in the Lord and keep doing what God has called you to do because he promises to work it out for good to those that are in Christ Jesus and bank on that promise, amen? And that's what Paul is saying throughout this letter. He's looking at this group Even though hardship is there, don't retreat, don't give up, keep pressing in and stand like a soldier, remaining at his post, even when all hell is breaking loose around you. That's the word that Paul is giving to this church. So then he says, I love you, stand firm. And then he addresses the issue at hand. Look what he says in verse two. He said, I plead with Yodia. I plead with Sentaichi. Let me just say this. No one else has ever named her kids that. <laughs> two reasons. I can't even pronounce them. And secondly, think about this. Think about this for a second. Two ladies. Imagine you're gathered. We got a letter from Paul. Paul wrote. They were so excited. And so they gathered and they grabbed their mats and they're, they're sitting down and maybe some are on their camels and donkeys and, and, and this order's up and they got this letter, this scroll and they, oh, that's from Paul. This Emanuensis had wrote it and, and so they're standing there and they get chapter one, yeah, chapter two, yeah, chapter three. And they get to chapter four, verse one, he loves us for his crown and joy. And then he says, and then you, Eudonia, you, Sintaichi. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? You're standing in this crowd and everyone looks at you. Bam, he called him out. And he says these words. Look how he calls him out. He says, I plead with you. And the, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, We need a mediator, something that might have been Epaphroditus or or an elder in the church. Help these women, since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. Now, can you imagine? They're standing there, and and, and this orator is reading, and they're back there. And, And he says, help them. Can you imagine? Everyone goes, he's talking about you. We need to help you. Listen, you gotta work this out. We can't continue to have this division. Don't you remember when you two work together? Listen, we're the body of Christ. We're a family. And let me say something about family. Why is it that we throw family out when, when a, a disagreement occurs? Why is it that we run from family? Why is it we think we can't get along? Look, I'm never going to leave my brother and my three sisters. We'll have disagreements. But listen, they will always be my sisters, and he will always be my brother. And I'm not running from them. We're going to work it out. And there are times I've gotten on their case. And there's times they've gotten on my case. And there's times they didn't like me, and I didn't like them. But you know what? We worked it out. And the church should be a group 
that works it out. That's what Paul's saying. And so can you imagine they're standing there like, he's talking about us. And so I, I imagine because this group, they, they got a lot and they probably looked at it. Maybe, maybe one of the ladies went around and says, listen, we love you. We love you. We got to work this out. Too much is at stake. You guys help plant this church. We contended for the gospel together. Let's don't let the enemy come, kill, steal, and destroy, and conquer, and divide. This word had gotten back to Paul, too. Work it out. Too much is at stake. So then, he said, why? Because here's why. Your citizen, Eudodia, citizenship, Eudodia, and Sintaichi, guess what? It's in heaven. And guess what? Guess what? You think you might not get along now? You're going to spend a zillion years together in heaven, so work it out. The Lord just speaks through Paul. But you know what we do? We don't work it out. We shut them down. We run from them. We hide from them. We think that's better. No. Here's what I think is going to happen. Our Lord loves to see community and unity. Those people that you have chosen to push away. I wouldn't be surprised if the address in heaven is right next to you. For the first thousand years of your life. Why? Because God believes in unity. What do we know about this? So what was the issue? Here's what I know. Here's what I know from the facts that are here. The issue was between two women. They had contended for the gospel. They were believers. How do you know, Pastor Jim? Because it says in verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. And by the way, no one can take your name from the book of life once Christ saves you. Not even a disagreement in the church. So they're born again. They obviously have a disagreement that needed to be worked out. We don't know what the disagreement was. And by the way, Paul could have told us. Because he didn't hold stuff back to the Colossian church. He said, work out your heresy. You got false heresy. Work it out. He told the Corinthian church, hey, quit having adultery. Quit having sex with people you shouldn't be having sex with. And so he didn't pinpoint out the issue. It was just disagreement. But he said, it's causing disunity in the church and probably forcing people to take sides. Isn't that what happens? You have a friend and they've been hurt. There's disagreement that takes place. And so they grab their friends and say, let me tell you what he did or she did. Hey, you're on my side, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on your side. So let's leave the church. It takes a strong man or woman to stop and say, no, that's not what God would want us to do. He wants us to work it out. And then this other side says, yeah, we've been running together for a while. And Paul's saying, listen, don't waste the cross. Don't waste the work of Jesus Christ. Work it out. Seek peace in this situation. Imagine as these, as how these women felt that they heard their names for the first time in this letter. Plus, think about this. Their names are inscripturated in the Bible forever, ever, and ever. It made me wonder and pull away. How many times has your name been included in the minutes of a church meeting because of disagreement, because of disunity, because of cantankerous spirit, because you couldn't work it out? 
And by the way, those minutes last forever and ever and ever and ever. Paul is saying, for the cause of Christ and the work on the cross, mediator, step in. I love these ladies. There's going to be disagreements. Listen, we're family. There will be times that you and I will butt heads. There will be times that I will do things sinful and I need to ask for forgiveness and you need to too. But let's work it out. Can you imagine after this letter was done as they left this reading? I just pictured these brothers and sisters coming alongside after hearing Paul's heart and saying, Yodia, Sintichi, let's, let's work this out. Too much is at stake. The world needs Jesus. We need to work this out. I wonder today, as I look across Grace Community and those that are listening online, do you have some conflict that you need to resolve? Are you holding out and pulling away and saying something and remaining disconnected because you still harbor something against someone? Don't do that. Listen, the world is watching us. Now think about this. The Bible says this in John 13, 35, that the world will know we are his disciples and Christians by our what for one another? Love for one another. Love is saying, I choose to forgive and not remember it. You see, how do you know when you've done that? Let me tell you, this is how you know. When you truly have forgiven someone, when you no longer rehearse the ugly scenes in your mind that they did to you, that's when you know you've forgiven them. When you just see them and you don't think, oh man, I remember the time they did that. And you see them and you walk to the other side of the street because they did that. I mean, it runs through your mind. You know what the full cycle and circle of forgiveness is? It's when you no longer rehearse the ugly scenes, what your wife did to you, what your husband did to you, what your coach did to you, what your professor did to you, what your mom or dad, where you no longer, you give it over to God. You, you, you forgive them. And you know what the full cycle is? It's when you can now, when you see them, you pray for God's best and a blessing over their life. That's when you're truly forgiven. So how do you do that? What's the step? You clean your heart by becoming the funeral director of your judgment, resentment, bitterness, pride, haughty spirit, and gossip of someone else by burying it in the ground to David and forever. Amen? It's saying, that's it. I'm becoming the funeral director of this situation. Give me, give me the shovel. You bury it in the ground, you cover it up, and you continue to work in harmony together. So he says, we need a mediator. He says, I ask you, my true companion, please help them to work this out. And by the way, if you've ever called to be that person, the ultimate goal was restoration, not discipline. Did you hear me? It's to restore them. Not the walkers. We didn't do that to them. We didn't do that. No, they need to learn their lesson. I'll show them how to fix this. Hey, you're, you're, you need to do 50 burpees tomorrow morning. Like we always think like discipline. No, restoration. The overall attitude should be grace, not force. Seriously, 
do, do we really need to talk about that? Like, just think about your own sin. I think about my own sin. That's enough. Jesus took it all to the cross and freely died for it. Like, we are the recipients of unusual grace. Christ followers should be the givers of unusual grace to everyone. If you're the mediator, the common ground is always Jesus, not logic, not the church, not tradition. This is the way we always done it. Or your will, it's Jesus. This is what Jesus wants. So then he says, work that out. So how do you do that? Look what he says then in verse four through seven. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. What's, what's he say again? What's the word? Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be what about anything. But in how many situations? Every situation by what? Prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving. Present your request to the newspaper. Is that what it says? Present your request to Facebook and Twitter. No, it says present your request to who? God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Your mind in Christ Jesus. So what's he say? He says, put to death anxiety instead of managing it. So he gets a word back that the church is anxious. They're becoming a bunch of worry words because they keep seeing this disagreement. Well, it's going to divide the church. And my, my friend that I contended with now wants to believe with them. And they're, they're over here with them. And, and I can't believe it's divided. And, and, and what's happening is now sin is starting to surface because they begin to worry. And they're wondering if it'll ever work out. And Paul says, listen to me, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. And by everything, in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then peace will surface in this moment. All right. I'm going to speak some truth that's from God's word. Worry and anxiety are sin. Okay. Did you hear me? Sin. When you worry... You're sinning. When you allow anxiousness to rule your life, you're sinning. The problem is this. The church and people in particular like to manage this sin instead of putting it to death. We often coddle this behavior. And it goes like this. Yeah, I'm just prone to worry too. It's hard for me too. I understand. Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. Here, give me a hug. Let's have a cry together. Rawr, rawr. So what you do? You sin together. But I don't know how my kid's going to turn out. And so you worry about it. Instead of trusting in God and believing that he promises to finish what he started. Boy, if we could only go back to when we were kids. Like, think about it when you were a kid. Something happens. I had a good discussion with Sam earlier. And we were talking about this. How something happens. Like, when we mature and become adults, like all of a sudden we feel like we should worry about stuff. Like we need to be serious now. Something happens from childhood to, to teenhood to, to adolescence to adulthood. Now, and the truth of the matter is we should be just like we were when we were three years old. Now think about, it. have you ever seen a three-year-old sit on a chair and they're whining? <laughs> and you ask them, what's wrong? I don't know what it's going to be like when I'm 13. Seriously. 
Why? Why don't they? Because they trust their mother and their father. You see, we need to go back to that three-year-old that sits on, and everything seems to be falling around, down around us. And instead of whining and complaining and worrying what it's going to be like, we say, I trust in my God. I trust in his promise that he's going to take my kids and he's going to take this situation. He's going to take this health report that I just received and he's going to work it out for good. Whatever happened to that little boy and little girl inside of us? Somewhere along this path, someone told us, you need to grow up. No, I want to say we need to become like a little boy and a little girl again. As a three-year-old that wakes up and says, everything's fine. It's all going to be taken care of. So Paul is looking at this group. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul, hit the button. How many of you are in the state of sin right now because of worrying and becoming anxious about something? You see, anxiety means being divided and pulled in many directions. As a kid, we had these, I don't know what was in them, but how many of you guys remember Stretch Armstrong? Anybody remember Stretch Armstrong? Like that was the most awesome toy there was. Because you could take the arms and pull it and you could take the leg and you could get all four of you and just pull on it. How many of you guys tried to yank it apart? How many of you were successful? Do you remember? Here's a picture of what, what it means to be anxious. And this is what it looks like to worry. Uh, do you remember him? How many of you remember him? Like, like, that's what it looks like. When you wake up in the morning, it's like... <laughs> and Paul was saying, don't manage this. Put it to death. And this is what happens if you just continue to go down this path. And it, that's what happens. He says, kill it. Don't manage it. Let me also just say this. You might not ever thought about this way, but this is the reality. Constant worry, constant anxiousness is an addiction. You're an addict. Wait a minute, Pastor Jim. I know that alcohols are addicts, and I know that drugs abuse can be addicts. That's different, and that's addiction. No, you're an addict. You need to go to recovery help because you're addicted to worry. It's a sinful addiction. Worry and anxiety are addictions for many Christians. And because of it, you will not bear fruit. The irony of addictions is that they come from the freedoms we possess in Christ because of his permissible will. We can choose to do many things, but for too long, we've coddled anxiety and worry. And we do the same thing as a alcohol addict does, as a drug addict does, as a sexual addict does. You, when you coddle, when you choose to worry, you are an addict who is walking in sin. Sounds different, doesn't it? I'm not coddling it like the church likes to. You have an addiction, and it's called a worry addiction, an anxiety addiction. And Paul is looking at this church and saying, listen, be anxious about nothing, 
But in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and in the midst of this hardship, rejoice. Then he says, again, I say rejoice. Everyone know why he had to say it twice? Think about it. Why? Because they're receiving this letter, and he knew that they were receiving this letter, and he got word back that anxiousness and worry was beginning to surface, that someone would say, Paul, like rejoicing is going to do anything. So he says, well, I'll tell you again, rejoice. He said it twice. How many, like, we probably have to say it like 50 times. Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Worry works are doom and gloom. They say it's going to be bad. It will probably end up this way, like the opening video that we saw. You freak out with your negative prophecy, and no one's going to like me. No one is going to be there for me. And guess what happens? That's what happens. Because no one wants to be with you. And no one does like you, because all you do is worry. And you wear them out. And you think that somehow, if you worry, you believe a lie, that people will come around and hold you. No, they run from you. See, worry says, Lord, I don't believe you can take care of me. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Let me just ask a very plausible question. How's that working for you? Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health illness in the United States. Because you mentally choose to worry. So what's the remedy? Paul says rejoice. And he says again, I say rejoice. The reason he said it twice is because he knew that Bill, Evelyn, Andy, and Jim would roll their eyes and say, well, you don't know what I'm going through, Pastor Jim. You have no idea what my daughter's like. You have no idea that this man that you see on Sunday morning, you ought to see him on Monday morning. You don't know what it's like to work in my environment. You don't know what I just received from my superintendent. No, I don't. But the God of the universe does, and he promises for those whose names are in the the Lamb's book of life that he will work it out for good. Bank on it. That's what Paul says. And he says, let your gentleness be near. Why? Because anxious people aren't gentle people. Ever been around them? They're the most irritable people you ever want to be around. Why? Because Proverbs 15.1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And there was a major conflict going on here. And he said, let your gentleness be near. Give them a gentle reply. Speak gently to them. Because gentleness turns away wrath. Please hear me out today. You can choose not to be anxious. And you can choose not to worry. The choice is yours. You can choose to be an addict or choose not to be an addict. Enough of this. Well, that's just the way I am. That's how I'm wired. Your words will prophesy your future. Besides, let me, let me just show you what it looks like when you choose to become an addict of worry and anxiety. Here are the symptoms of anxiousness. You have mood swings. And you often see this. Like, have you ever seen someone who's anxious and worries? Like, you don't know which person you're going to get. Like, you hope that your wife is, 
this way in the morning or your husband's that way in the morning. You hope that your coach is this way or you hope that your pastor is this way or you hope that your mom or dad's this way. And it's just these mood swings. Or it's like seeing the big, huge man and he's crying and you go over and say, what's up, dude? I don't know. I didn't need a good cry. Like, dude, what up? Another symptom is anger. They have a short fuse. Like, you barely say anything. Like, whoa, whoa, don't get near them. Where are your next Depression is another symptom of worry works. Why? Because they view the world through the lenses of doom and gloom instead of Jesus Christ. You know, one another symptom of the addiction of worry and anxiousness, you're exhausted emotionally. You're done. Physically, you're done. You suffer from insomnia. You can't sleep. It's all night you're thinking about it. You have health issues. You call in sick regularly to, to work. Can't sleep and don't feel good. Why? Because you're an addict of worry. You choose not to participate in growth or discipleship programs. Because everything you see is like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like this. And the last time I did it, did this. And if I do this and do that, it, you, you, you pull away. You have a fragmented mind. You're like Stretch Armstrong in four different ways because you can't think on Jesus when you're focusing on all these doom and gloom. You develop ulcers and canker sores and bliss, fever blisters. Why? Because when one area of your life is out of whack, it becomes a toxic and toxin to the other areas of your life. You're an addict. You overeat and you give up being healthy because you worry. And so you order more pizza and you go double on the buffet and you get more chocolate and you get more candy and you drink more pop and, and, and then you, you, you can't stay awake. So you just, you, you become an addict to caffeine. Stay alert at two o'clock in the afternoon. You have unusual weight gain because of this pattern of, of, of trying to cope with this addiction. You have headaches that come out of nowhere. You have a change in your sexual desires with your wife or husband. Let me ask you a question. Is that the picture of a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ? Paul's saying, no, it isn't. That's a picture of an addict who has chosen to worry. And Paul's looking at this church. He's saying, no, 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 no. Address it. Take care of it. So let me ask you. I want you to be very honest with yourself. You don't have to raise your hands. How many addicts do we have in this room? Oh, it's just a little bit, Pastor Jim. It's like three times a week. That's an addict. It's just twice a week. That's an addict. Are you choosing to willfully worry and sin? Listen. Paul says, rejoice. Be gentle. Hand your requests and your petitions with thanksgiving over to God. In every situation, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The good news is this, that your back was never designed to carry the stuff that you're trying to carry, but Jesus' back is. Cast all your anxiety on who? On him. His back is strong enough. And then what happens? Look what happens. Verse 7, it says this. 
It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You're saying, I don't feel very peaceful about this situation. Like, Pastor Jim, I don't have any peace. Maybe, just maybe. It's because you willfully have chosen to sin and worry instead of having a spirit of thanksgiving, rejoicing. Again, I say rejoice. Instead of praying and handing off all your needs to God, instead of believing that God is good on his word, until you do, you will not have peace. You will suffer from insomnia. You will suffer from all those symptoms I just read. You will not be healthy. But when you do, it says the peace of God will guard your mind, guard your heart so that nothing else can intrude on your life. And you could be standing in the midst of a hurricane and say, praise the Lord. Let me ask you a question. What do you want? The choice is yours. I'm telling you what I'm choosing, Grace Community. I'm going back to that three-year-old boy that's sitting there. And he's happy because he knows mom and dad's going to feed him. He knows the only thing he has to think about that day is eat and eat some more and run and play. Because the God of the universe promises to be near. The God of the universe promises if I rejoice, he'll guard my mind. He'll guard my heart and I will live to my redeemed potential. That's what God wants. So Lord, the choice is ours today. We have the choice. You've given us a free will. And here's what I know, God. When you walk into the room, sickness has to vanish. Darkness leaves. Resurrected dead things come to life. God, help us to believe that. Help us to believe that you are the answer. You are the remedy. Help us to rejoice through our circumstances, God. Help us to be people who trust in you because you live in us. In Jesus' name, amen.